You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And not joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank is out tonight. It's a Thursday night, so he was not able to join us. But that's okay. We will keep it rolling without him. I can handle it for the night. Bringing you today's episode is Himalaya. A reminder that you can get Locked on Bucks on the brand new podcast app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. It's also brought to you by ZipRecruiter, and right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And this is to, to me, this is one of the... One of the more difficult episodes to record because I think we're we're really in an interesting spot with this series. Because when you look at how game one went, obviously the Bucks largely played to who they were, or I guess who they are. That they, they, they pretty much just played what how, how they played during the regular season. That that was that was who they were. They were a team that was going to drop and pick and roll coverage. They were a team that was uh, going to try to kick things out. Giannis was going to try to attack in transition. That was that was pretty much it. Like I think on both sides of the ball, you saw pretty much exactly who the Bucks were, and they got destroyed. <laughs> they, they got killed, 112 to 90. And I think in that game, you saw Giannis really struggle. Uh, He had four dunks, but outside of that, he didn't hit a shot inside the three-point line. He goes three for five from the three-point line. And, uh, I mean, I I wrote about it today at The Athletic, but to me, that was his worst playoff game since since the, the Dunleavy tackle. That you know, I think if you're if you're looking at his playoff games and you know, kind of how you rank them, obviously there's been games where he scored less than 22 points, but just the fact that he didn't hit a shot inside the three point line outside of dunks, like that just that just isn't him. Like he's able to get to the basket, he's able to get inside the paint and really wreak havoc, and that's not how game one went. And at the athletic while i'm here i I wrote a little bit about uh the dunleavy tackle asked him about it and middleton about it and kind of you know what he's learned since getting eliminated in that first playoff series so if you want to go check that out subscribe to the athletic but you know i think you see that in game one and you know along with that in game one the bucks don't make as many shots as they normally do and uh, not necessarily from a three-point percentage standpoint because they're still 33 percent from three but it was Giannis three for five middleton three for four and Miritich three for four 
And, you know, the rest of the others just missed a bunch of threes. Brooke Lopez, not very good in that game. Eric Bledsoe struggled as well. And when you go down the line, like, it was just a, it was just a really bad game for the Bucks. But I think it was bad in many of the ways that you might have expected it to be bad. The, the Celtics obviously have Al Horford, who is a, among the, the best defenders of Giannis in the league. Very strong. He's very quick. He uses hands a lot, uh, some may say illegally, but he definitely does it inside, uh, you know, the kind of the letter of, I don't know if the letter of the law, but, you know, just as games are officiated, he's able to to be very physical with Giannis, and that makes it very tough on him, and then the Celtics make it a real effort to really go out there and defend him well, and then you add on to the fact that the Bucks just weren't getting stops defensively, and... Uh, as I think it's kind of been revealed in this series, and not that it was a huge shock to anyone, but transition basketball is very important to this Bucks team. They they want to be out in transition. They're at their best when they are out in transition and able to get out there, and they were able to do that in Game 2, but in Game 1, they were not. So Game 1 is just kind of, you know, I think everything that you thought the Bucks' base defense might struggle with, they did struggle with. And then, you know, offensively, I think the games where we've seen the Bucks struggle this year, it's been the games where they haven't shot particularly well in teams have walled up Giannis and, you know, kind of forced him to either try to find a way to break through the wall, kick it out, and then they weren't hitting shots. And, you know, I think game one was in some ways, in some ways predictable, right? And then you think about game two, and I don't know if game two was predictable because I, I think the feeling was, you know, Mike Boonholzer has this this kind of reputation as a coach that doesn't make a ton of adjustments, as a guy that, uh, as he so eloquently stated on Monday, finds adjustments to be slightly overrated. So I think going into that game, the the topic we knew we were all going to talk about was adjustments. We all knew what that game would come down to is whether or not the Bucks would make adjustments, whether or not they would change some things, whether or not they would uh, do all of that, or if they would just decide ultimately to, you know, try to be a better version of themselves. And you know, I think there there might have been some chance if if they would have just been a better version of themselves. You know, maybe there was some chance that they win that game, but as soon as <laughs> I mean, as soon as tip off happened. It was a different Bucks team. One through four, they were switching. And they really made it difficult on the Celtics. And ultimately, the Celtics kind of just fell into their worst habits. They, they've had, you know, some, some bad habits of playing a little bit too much iso ball, uh, of settling for jumpers far too often. And I, I think that's, that's kind of what we saw in that game and you know i think i think it was just interesting that you know the the bucks switched everything up so that was again maybe not something we predicted because we thought you know there was actually a chance that the bucks wouldn't make adjustments they would go out and, and do the same things but we knew the topic of the game would be adjustments so they go out they make those adjustments and they're able to you know really take it to the celtics they do it, 
Celtics miss, miss a bunch of shots. The Bucks are able to get out more in transition. Giannis is able to have a little bit better game. He goes to the free throw line a lot more. He goes to the free throw line 18 times. Middleton has a huge game, 7 or 10 from 3. Bledsoe looks more like himself again and has a 21-point game with 5 assists. Like Everyone kind of looks looks a lot more like themselves. The Bucks have a 42% night from deep as well. So those two... Maybe they didn't happen in the exact way that we thought they would, but we knew going in that these were the things that were going to matter in game one, and then going into game two, these were the things that were going to matter in game two, and I think game three really makes this a lot harder. It is To me, it isn't that easy. To me, it isn't that easy to say, we're going to see these exact things and these exact things will dictate what happens and how, you know, we see this series going forward. Like, that's just not how it's going to be. And at least partially, that's what makes Game 3 so interesting to me. Because I think in many ways, we're left guessing. But I will say this, one thing that doesn't leave you guessing is ZipRecruiter. When you take a look at ZipRecruiter, you know what you're getting there. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where going, where growing businesses, excuse me, connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. The first day. 80%, that is not how I feel about my predictions for Game 3 and how this series will, will look going forward. But right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire So I guess this is this is why Game Three is so fascinating to me. I think the playoffs are fun because you can kind of you can kind of look at game film. You can kind of rewatch the games. In in some ways, you can decide this is where we're going next. This is what's going to happen. This is this is the the obvious adjustment to whatever it is that these two teams are doing. And to me, it doesn't feel as obvious in game three. In game three, I mean, I think what you're looking at is this Bucks team is going to likely switch one through four, likely play Brooke Lopez the same way, where Brooke Lopez is dropping and it's going to be incumbent upon the the Celtics to take advantage of those things. And, you know, when you're thinking about how they take advantage of it, I think there's a lot more they could do on those switches than, than what they did in game two. And, and I guess kind of what I mean is 
when when they get a switch, I've, it felt like a lot of the time they they just kind of decided to go one on one. They were just going to somehow, some way, try to beat whatever person it was off the dribble. And in game three, that that honestly might be something that they continue to do. Uh, Kyrie Irving after the game said, you know, if I get a guy like Middleton on me, if I get a guy like uh, Ersan Ilyasova on me, Miritich, whoever it may be, I just got to blow by. Like, I can blow by. I know I can do it. I just didn't do it in this game. And, you know, at least partially, you know, you, you do have to believe him. Kyrie Irving can do that. He can get to the rim. And, and, you know, he can blow by some of those guys. So I do think, you know, they'll be more purposeful ISOs. But at the same time, you know, I think when you get a switch there's different ways to attack it or you know okay so get a switch and then and then get into uh some sort of action that involves brooke lopez so that there's an awkward switch between miritich and lopez there's an awkward switch between middleton and lopez or uh maybe not a switch they won't switch at all and lopez will drop and middleton won't be as good at getting over the top of of a screen like if you get him switched on to irving then you run that pick and roll and all of a sudden everything is difficult again and i just think to me in you know kind of the same way that i thought the bucks could have done a better job spacing the floor getting to the right spots after game one i think after game two the celtics are going to think okay, the the things that we're getting aren't the worst, <laughs> aren't the worst things that we have. So let's let's keep getting those things, but then execute them better. And I do think largely that's what you'll you'll try to see from this Boston team as they'll they'll still be happy to take the switches that that the bucks give them. They'll just attack them in in a more efficient way. And that is is going to be really interesting to see. One, how well the Bucks defense holds up, you know, how well they're able to do all that. And two, are the Celtics really just going to be be able to attack that? So, you know, I think I think that's an adjustment. And then, you know, from the Bucks side of things, how do you attempt to recapture the third quarter that Giannis had? And I think when when you watch through Game two again, I think you saw the Bucks do a lot of really smart things. And that is a kind of how they're going to have to do this offensively. And I guess what I mean by really smart things is just that, okay, you you know what, what the Celtics rules, quote unquote, kind of are is that, you know, like they're going to have Horford in front of Giannis. He's going to come out and get him near the three-point line. Uh, he's not going to let him get a, you know, a real head of steam going into it. And then... They're going to try to put a help defender on the right and a help defender on the left, and they're going to try to keep them as close to Horford as possible so it, it truly is building a wall. And we saw in Game 2 the Bucks try to manipulate that. So, you know, trying to pull a guy like... Really, you could see it from the opening tip. Mirtich was in there, and the goal was to put Mirtich as high up on on the left wing as possible. You know, obviously, we know where the blue square is for the Bucks uh, in that area. It's not on the three point line; it's a few feet above it. And have Mirtich stretch even further than that, and then have Giannis hit him on that to to really pull that defense out. So you saw you saw a lot of that. You saw more of the spacing where. You know, the other night I was talking about how Eric Bledsoe had passed it to Giannis and then he was sitting on top of him on, on a three-point line. And, you know, they run a, a Bledsoe-Giannis pick and roll and Bledsoe rolls and then very quickly realizes 
shit, this is a bad idea. I should not be in his way. Let me let me move in this direction. So I think essentially what you're seeing from the Bucks is not necessarily necessarily a different way to attack the Celtics and their defense, but a smarter way to attack the the Celtics and their defense and a more efficient way. And they understand like the different routes that they have to take, the different ways that they have to attack and how efficiently they have to do it uh, and how well they can try to do it. And, and that to me is obviously like a, another level of playoff execution and kind of trying to do more of that. But you know, when I when I talk through these things, there's I think some level of uncertainty. Not that that's not what these time what these two teams are going to try to do. Just kind of what happens when they do them. How do they actually do these things, and how well do they execute these things? And and that's kind of where the question is. And you know. I think if you're a Celtics fan, you're probably thinking through, well, you know, maybe we'll just get back home and Kyrie will shoot better and and that'll fix it. But I think there's probably a level of of execution that the Celtics didn't have. And I think on the other side of the ball, you know, Celtics fans might say, you know, the Bucs aren't going to shoot 40% in TD Garden. They're going to shoot a much worse percentage than that. So, you know, they'll, the, the Celtics will be back to fine uh, on defense. And, you know, that's why, like I said, I think game three is is so incredibly difficult to predict because, you know, we just don't really know which direction any of these things will go. So I guess let's, let's talk a, a little bit about some of the other things that that will affect this game three. Uh, the big news of the day here on Thursday, Thursday night, excuse me, it'll be Friday here by the time that you listen to it, but Malcolm Brogdon goes through some more workouts. The cameras catch him working out again. And uh, Mike Boonholzer doesn't talk about what his possible availability will be. And then he is listed as out on the injury report. So, um, We'll see if if that changes on Friday. Uh, I think ultimately maybe it's unlikely that we'll see Malcolm Brown in Game 3. Maybe, you know, you see him in Game 4. And I do think one one thing that is interesting about Brogdon is that I'm not 100% sure that... Well, actually, I shouldn't say this. I am 100% sure that he won't be at 100% whenever he comes back. Like, we saw him last year try to return from an injury in the playoffs, and and that wasn't the same Malcolm Brogdon that that we had seen during the season. So that'll be much the same, you know, whenever he does return from injury. But I am curious just how low a percentage of Malcolm Brogdon could be really helpful for this Bucks team. And essentially what I mean there is that Obviously, defensively, you're going to have to be good. You're going to have to find a way to switch a bunch of different assignments and you know find a way to be effective defensively. But offensively, I think what you've seen thus far from the Celtics in game one and game in game one and game two is that they are willing to ignore people that they don't think are threats, and and that that's pretty uh, it's pretty drastic, right? Like. 
Uh, a guy like Sterling Brown, who was a great corner three shooter during the year, they're willing to let him have those. And uh, not necessarily just give them to him, but you know, if he manages to get one off, I, I think they're largely fine with it. And yeah, they might try to run it down. They might try to you know, chase him off the line a little bit and make him make a bad decision, which he's done in, in games one and games two. Um, but they're okay with it. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of a thing up and down this roster where Chris Middleton, they're very much not okay with getting good looks. They're going to do everything that they can to stop him. Brooke Lopez, they're going to run him off the line and they're going to do everything that they can to stop him. But, you know, outside of that, Eric Bledsoe at this point, they're more than happy to watch him shoot threes. And I, I think they're more than happy to watch Bledsoe attempt to create as as a play unfolds. And ultimately, you know, they're okay with Bledsoe going to the rim and they, they feel confident that they can challenge him at the rim and, and everything will be okay there. And I'm not sure that that happens with Malcolm Brogdon. If you get Malcolm Brogdon back... 50 40 90 obviously i think his his reputation even if it is uh, uh i'm trying to figure out it's not a revolutionary war musket maybe a civil war musket uh it, it is a little bit of a slower release from three but obviously we saw throughout the season him able to to get those threes off and then in games where people were running off the line being able to attack the basket and get, and get to the rim and again maybe Maybe at whatever percentage he comes back, he can't do those things. But just the idea of the Celtics needing to pay attention to someone else defensively really changes the geometry for the Celtics. We, we've seen it with Nikola Mirotic. They, they have to go out and pay attention to him. Uh, obviously, Middleton, Lopez. We've seen it with those guys. And, you know, I think with Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon, it could end up being the same thing. So I think that's kind of where it gets interesting over the weekend is, okay, maybe you don't see Malcolm in game three, but all of a sudden you get to Monday and maybe you see him in game four. And in game four, if you see him, does that mean... Teams are going to pay, or does that mean the Celtics are going to pay more attention to him than they would Sterling Brown or Pat Connaughton or whoever it may be? I think yes. E- even even if it is uh, Malcolm Brogdon at 75%, I think they pay more attention. And I think that's where it kind of gets more interesting. So we'll, we'll kind of have to watch and see uh, with that. Marcus Smart still doesn't appear all that close to coming back uh, for the Celtics, but uh, we'll have to keep an eye uh, on that. Other bit of newsy type stuff is really just sad news. Uh, Danny Ainge, the general manager of the Boston Celtics, ended up having uh, what is what was called, I think, a, a slight or a mild heart attack. Uh, it sounds like in Milwaukee uh, before the Celtics ended up leaving on Tuesday. And it sounds like he's going to be able to recover. It sounds like he's going to be able to be back with the team. But, um, you know, just scary stuff. Scary stuff, and obviously uh, thoughts and prayers and well wishes uh, to Danny Ainge and, and his family uh, and all that, and, and just you know another thing that that might affect the Celtics in some way. And you don't obviously want to think about that, but obviously the emotional connection any team feels to their general manager or you know just just really anyone in their organization, it, it's just kind of sad uh, that you know it, it happens really any time, but obviously uh, during this time as, as you're getting ready for the playoffs and or you're getting ready for a playoff series and to get to host a, a game three here uh, in Boston. So I think that's kind of a wrap up of the news. I think that's kind of 
what we did before was a wrap up of things that might affect game three and you know just just kind of going through it i I mean i think i think in some ways you know maybe after game three we have a better idea of how this series goes but also you know maybe maybe there's an outlier shooting night in there maybe it's another situation where it ends up being a 20 point win for one of these teams but i think i'm leaning towards this actually being a close game and this being uh, a game where these two teams kind of really start to feel each other out and start to understand what the other team is bringing to the table and you know i think we get into some really good games here and again i could be wrong i i like i said i'm i'm very confused by game three i legitimately have no idea what's going to happen and i'm somewhat confused as what will be the the things that will swing the game in either direction but I will say I'm I'm incredibly excited to watch it and I do think you know we're we're getting to a spot where you know maybe we're going to have some some really good basketball between these teams and I think the the last thing that I wonder is I think throughout this series we've seen Giannis really be bothered by the physicality of of the Celtics, Al Horford, Aaron Baines, um really really whoever it is, but uh, primarily Horford and I think in the third quarter, you saw Giannis kind of figure out what his spots were a little bit more. Obviously, it helped that the Celtics were missing shots and he could attack and transition a little bit. But I think you got to see him figure out what his what his spots were a little bit more. And then I think the other thing is I'm curious if at some point um, throughout this season, we've seen Giannis really just assert his physical will onto anyone that, that tries to defend him. And it's getting to a point where I wonder if if he has a game coming where, you know, he just decides that he's going to put his shoulder into whoever he needs to put his shoulder into. And if that's Al Horford, so be it. And if he starts to try to be more physical, we've seen him really avoid foul trouble at all in in these these first couple games. He had two fouls in the 123-102 win in game two. He had one personal foul in the 112-90 win or excuse me loss in game one and you know with the series 1-1 and I think with him having a little bit better feel for how they've been defending him I'm curious if we see him put his his shoulder down a little bit more try to get a little bit more physical Um, I think at times he's tried it and been somewhat frustrated when you know he hasn't gotten calls or maybe he hasn't moved Horford a ton or maybe Horford has in turn gotten even more physical with him but I I do wonder if we do see a spot where it kind of all tips and and then Giannis kind of has a feel for just how physical he can be with these guys and and I wonder if now would be that time where he's gotten a couple days to look over the film he's gotten a couple days to to kind of figure out what what this series has been about to this point. So um, that's one last thing, you know, maybe I'm watching here in game three. And I guess the other thing too is how do the Bucks leverage Chris Middleton? Uh, I think they, they did a, I don't want to say a poor job, but an average job in game one, game two, I thought they did a better job. And a lot of that was Middleton bringing the ball up the floor uh, to shoot some transition threes. But uh, I think, 
as this season or as this series goes on, excuse me, the Bucks have to do as much as they can to involve Middleton and Giannis in as much action as possible. And I thought they did a little bit better job in Game Two. I'm curious if Game Three we'll see even more of that. So a uh, couple things I'm keeping an eye on, but that is going to be it for us for today. Uh, no Frank, so hopefully I didn't wander around too much during this, and you guys actually got something out of this. But a huge Game Three coming up from Boston on Friday night and a huge podcast brought to you by our friends at Himalaya. Remember to get the show every single day. Subscribe to Lockdown Bucks on the new Himalaya podcast app and an ever-expanding podcast world. You need Himalaya with their personally curated playlist and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Bucks. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya podcast as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. Also, remember that this podcast was brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash LOCKDOWN. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, ZipRecruiter.com slash LOCKDOWN. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. A big thanks to all of you for listening. A big thanks to Frank for just being my friend and, you know, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really fun series. I think it's going to be a really fun weekend, and, and we'll see if that all starts to happen in Game 3 on Friday. So for Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. We will talk to you guys later.